I was trying to think how many uh, years you and I have known each other and where we even met. I don't even know where we met, but we met and we have been uh, steady friends and we've been in the battle together. We've been in uh, good times together and it's been a joy to have you as a companion and, and fellow pastor knowing that the Word of God is preached here and counsel bluffs. <clears throat> I spent <clears throat> four years in Omaha at Grace and uh, you did too. And it's good to see somebody stuck around and uh, preach the word here. <clears throat> it's good to be here and I just uh, praise God when I look out and see uh, you over here and the building that God has given you. I just can't, I, I really rejoice with you. I remember as I told the Sunday school class, we would preach in the, the other building and getting back and forth, the basement and all the little rooms. And, and I kept telling Dwight, you got you to you gotta find some room. He said, we will. And we kept probing. And all at once I hear in a meeting that you're interested in this building. And I said, go for it. And he did. And God provided just miraculously for the way he has done for you. Uh, God has really enriched your body. I'd like for, uh, I got a group here that's heard this sermon. And uh, they probably didn't remember it because I think Thomas was asleep. <laughs> when I did it. Uh, normally when I go preach way, I take something I've already done in the past. This morning was something new and this afternoon will be something different, but. This morning I want to talk to you from Colossians chapter 2. I want to talk to you about uh, this chapter. Your pastor has written contending for the faith articles for a number of years, and he has been contending for the faith. And Paul is now warning a church about false teaching. He's never been to this church. This church sprung up out of, probably, out of the work at Ephesus. And two other churches sprung up, Hierapolis and Laodicea. They're right in the vicinity. He wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. We don't know what that was. It's not been preserved. But he wrote a letter to the Colossians. And uh, he is uh, talking to them in the second chapter about a heresy that is in the church and uh, the ramifications of that. So he's warning them and he's telling them how to best to do this. How do you, how do you handle heresy once it's got in? That's not easy to do. And uh, uh, Dwight mentioned to you that I'd been in Hutchinson, Kansas for almost 25 years and also in Kansas City for 20 years. And when I took those churches, well, the first church I took, I was right out of seminary. And I got into the church and I found out that the church did not believe in eternal security. And uh, I was playing golf with one of the older timers and I said, how many in this church do you think do not believe in eternal security? He said, probably only 10% believe in eternal security. And here I am, a strong Calvinist, and I'm going to preach a word. And so I decided that in five years, I will be able to say eternal security and nobody will bat an eye. And so it's a matter of working through theology step by step by step and teaching. When I got to Kansas City, the issue was lordship salvation. And that caused a ruckus. And, and I believe that if you're going to be saved, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what he is. You can't separate Lord and Jesus. He's Jesus and Lord, the same person. And if you accept Jesus, he is the Lord. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're trusting him as the Lord. And he is, that's why you came to him in the first place. You wanted your sins forgiven, 
And you wanted somebody to take hold of your life because you and I have made it a wreck. And we wanted somebody to uh, take hold, and we called him Lord. In the first uh, five verses, Paul talks about his love for the church, and that'll probably be as far as we'll get, unless you want me to go clear through till two. <laughs> Maybe they'll cater the dinner while I'm going. He had a love for the church. Paul served Christ's church with his whole being. When one really loves Christ, they love the church. You can't dissect that. The church is where the people gather together who love the Lord for the purposes of hearing the word of God and fellowshipping around the word of God and enjoying one another in love and hearing the word and being strengthened. And one of the things that happens is Satan doesn't want this to go on. Satan is really not uh, for all of this problem. And so we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea and all those who have not personally seen my face, even though they had not seen him, he fell in love with his church because of Epaphras had brought to him the message of what was going on in Colossae and how the people were faithful. Evidently, the church at, uh, at Ephesus, while Paul was there, people were coming and getting saved and traveling back to Colossae and going back and sharing the word of God. And not everybody could make the journey to Ephesus in those days. And so they, uh, all, they must have had electric cars and they could only drive them so far. So they stayed over there and they, they kept, they built their own ministry. And Epaphras was one of the teachers there. And Paul was informed that a heresy was taking root in Colossae. And Paul wished for them to know how great a struggle he had for them and the truth in that church. He says in verse 29, for this purpose in chapter 1, for this purpose I also labor, striving according to this power which mightily works within me. The word striving, he said, and the word struggling is from the word we get agony. We used to have a program in the worldwide world of sports. Maybe you, some of the older timers remember that. And the agony of defeat was one of their lines. And he had agony for this church. It really hurt him to see this body of believers be caught in a schism and division. And he had a depth of interest was shown by this agony. This same heresy was making uh, in inroads in the church at Laodicea. And this is possibly why Paul said, be sure you read this letter to the Laodiceans. Laodicea was 10 miles to the west of Colossae and located on the same highway from Ephesus. And Laodicea was a prosperous city and they were famous for the production of carpets made from the black sheep that were in, in the area. Their wealth is reflected in a letter in Revelation. Just flip over to Revelation. I don't think you'll get too lost from Colossae. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 17, where the Lord writes to the church of the Laodiceans. He says to this church in this letter, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so, that, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We're only talking about a church 40 years old. We're talking about a young church. It was on the ball and uh, now it's so uh, flat, the Lord is going to spit it out of his mouth. I think that's what wealth does to people, don't you? 
Wealth does that to churches. We get wealthy and we get happy and we satisfied and we get full of entertainment and we get full of ourselves and the church goes flat. And it becomes more interested in entertainment than actual worship and fellowship. And Paul had written a letter, previous letter to them in chapter 4 of Colossians. He said, Greet the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphia and the church that is in her house. With this letters read, among you have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, you and for your part, my letter that is coming from Laodicea, say to Acrippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord, that he may fulfill it. I like the personal aspect of the Paul's letters. Paul had a really personal interest in the church. He wasn't just an apostle passing by and, and flooding them with informational information. And he talks to them now in verse 2 about the edification of the church. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true, true love. You know, every church is going to be hit by the devil. Every church, sooner or later is going to face some heresy. It's going to rise up from inside or it's going to come on the outside. Paul warned Ephesus when he went back, if you'll turn with me back to Acts chapter 20. And he said to the elders of that church, beware because heresy is coming. Interestingly enough, when uh, Ephesus had some great preachers. And we read here in, in this particular letter, Acts chapter 20, in verse 20, he said, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Drop down to verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among the Holy Spirit, which has made you overseers to shepherd the flock or shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. Now think about the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus had Paul as the originating preacher or pastor. They had Timothy. Not only did they have Timothy, but they had the apostle John. Three great Preachers preached in this church. And yet, in AD 90s, when we read, read Revelation, when we read Revelation, we find out that God, Christ says, you have lost your first love. In just a few years, this great church lost its first love. Now, I think the first love is their enthusiasm for the Lord, their love for the Lord. You're not so old that you can remember when you were dating what would eventually be your wife or her husband, how, how you treated them. You talked about them everywhere. You were excited when you were in their presence. And that first love was that excitement over Jesus Christ, that love for Jesus Christ. They had lost it in just uh, 40, 50 years. That's not long. I've been in the ministry longer than 50 years. That's not a long time. And you wonder where it, where it goes. And so Paul has a big concern about the church. And he says, we got to figure out how in the world we can prevent this from happening. And so he says to them that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love. Now that's a medical term. It's our muscles and everything being knit together, our tendons being knit together, and it's to be knit together in love. 
First of all, he says that our heart might be encouraged having been knit together. The heart is the inner core of your being. So the love he's talking about is not some superficial Hollywood type, huggy bear, kissy face type love, not some emotional love, but a genuine love from the heart outward. A love that is willing to sacrifice for your neighbor. I was telling our, we were talking about this in John and one of our Wednesday night meetings. And I said, you know, this is the type of love that gives himself for the others. We have a security team and we're on the interstate. So we have guys watching out to make sure somebody doesn't come in and, and uh, cause trouble or, or take a baby away from our nursery, whatever possibility might happen because they can in two minutes be on an interstate and half hour be 30, 40 miles away. So we have this, and I said, maybe the security team, if we really have love, if somebody came in uh, to shoot, we would say, here's my love for you. Shoot me and save the rest. Isn't that the love we're talking about? It's a deep love that we're to have one for another in the body. And and, uh, we read here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, but whatever the, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need closes his heart against him, how can the love of God abide in him? We have to have a love that shares for one another. And it specifically ought to be shown in the church and outside the church as well. So one of the ways to combat uh, heresy and to combat that kind of thing is to have a knitting of love toward one another in the congregation. Knitting in love. A unity in the congregation. The phrase knit together is a metaphor joined together. Paul's not talking about organization, a unity, which is like a skeleton, but he's talking about the body of church, which is in submission to the head of the body, namely Christ. In Colossians 3.14 he said... Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The presence of a legalistic error had caused a schism in the body. Heresy always causes division. Whenever you have division in the church body, and I've been a pastor for 60 years, and I've been in a church where we've had our cliques, and we had our schisms, and we had all of that. But that is all caused... Because people are not sharing one with another. And having that love in there and saying, sit down. I have a, 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 a thing, an axe to grind with somebody. Sit down and grind it out. Create that unity. Believers are fragmented as to the new evaluation or evaluation of a, of a uh, heresy. And Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now how are the people in the community going to know what Southview believes? I want to say Southwest because I used to pastor in a church called Southwest. They changed the name to Mission Road Bible Church, but used to be Southwest Bible Church, but South View. How are people living around here? And how are your neighbors? And how are the people that see you interact going to know you really have a solid church? They're going to see it by the love in the church. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 14, you remember, with all the confusion. And Paul says, you've got to get order in the church. got to stop all this confusion. And he uh, is advocating prophecy. If people come into church and hear what is said, they will be convicted by all. They will pay attention. They'll fall down and worship the Lord. If you have love here at Southview Bible Church, if you have love toward another, people will come in and sense it. These people really love each other. These people really care. And we ha- we're living in a world that is so isolated and so fragmented, how are they going to know that you guys really love the Lord, that we all love the Lord? By They see it by our, 
on our faces. They feel it in our greeting people. They see how we love one another. All men will know that we are his. And so he said to them, the point is that we ought to share that love and be knit together in love. Now, we're in a family and church is a family and we don't always agree in a family and that happens. But what's wrong with sitting down and saying, let's work it out. Person has a problem, what is, where's the first place he is to go? If I have a problem with Joe, where's the first person I got to see? Most people go to the rest of the church. Right? That's a last act. Before you talk to anything about your problem with Joe, you go to Joe. And if people just do that, we could form that knit of love with each other. Furthermore, he says, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Ephesians, Paul wrote in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. How much do you know happened when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? How many things actually took place? Lewis Perry Chafer had a systematic theology. He's the founder of Dallas Seminary, and he wrote there were 36. He could name 36 separate things that happened to a person when he, when he accepted Christ. 36 transactions. Well, then I went to a seminary with a guy who's working on his doctorate degree, and Bob Gramacki wrote a book, Eternal Salvation. And he listed 84. You know what? Neither one are right. We don't know. The transaction that took place when you breathed out faith in Christ, having repented of your sin, when you went through that act, many things happened to you. Great miracles happened to you. How many of them do you know? The more one reads and taught from the Word of God, the more certainty of assurance one gains. Furthermore, when one is persuaded by faith of the things that they have received from the wealth of their salvation, they become steadfast and unmovable. When you think of the, what you have learned from your salvation and all it attained, from the, as we said this morning, from being placed into the body of Christ to being indwelt by the Holy Spirit forever, to have your sins forgiven forever, to be justified, declared just, declared to be positionally as good as Christ is good. None of us are that good, are we? But in, when I stand before God in Christ, I am as good as Christ is good. I have been declared righteous by a righteous, holy God. When you become uh, and you understand the wealth that comes from uh, full understanding, and this full understanding, it means a, to the ability to judge, the ability to know, the ability to have insight, when you have insight, you gain insurance. Assurance, I should say. That's why, you know, when Oswald preaches every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and Bible studies, why is he doing this? He wants to, to the best of his ability, as God given to him through the gift of the Holy Spirit, to take the Word of God and tell you what it says to build you up and give you assurance in your life and in your heart. And when you have this assurance and understanding, if a heresy comes into the church, you understand it immediately. I remember we banked in Kansas City, uh, banked there all, our, all the time we were there. And uh, 
I would give, my wife would take X amount of dollars and buy groceries and stuff for that. And she, when I cashed my check, she'd take, uh, go to the bank and they, and take part of it in cash for groceries and incidentals. And she went into what is now, uh, maybe some of you don't even remember anymore. There used to be Kmart's. She went to Kmart. Bought the bill, laid out the $20 bills. The lady said, wait a minute. Marked it and brought back the manager. Said, these bills are phony. And uh, she calls me, and I immediately went to our bank. The banks don't have to do this, but the bank said, these are phony bills. I said, I was just in here 15, 20 minutes ago and got the cash. And she said, I remember you. And she said, you know, our tellers are taught by feel and sight to recognize a genuine $20 bill. And just a few rub, rubbing on it, you could tell it was not genuine. And you could see that it wasn't genuine on closer inspection. The only advantage was I never had seen a phony dollar bill. And I was glad to have the ability to see uh, phony money, but it's out there. And when you really know the Lord and you are really taught in the Word of God, you, you recognize something phony. Remember, I talked to you about that this morning. The Holy Spirit says, this isn't right. And you recognize that phony stuff. And that comes from full assurance of knowing the wealth that there is in God's Word. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And Paul talks about Abraham. He said, Abraham being fully assured that what God promised, he was able to perform. He understood God and he had a steadfastness and assurance that God would perform what he said he would. And Paul said this to the Timothy. He said, But I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him against that day. The wealth you have on our side of understanding. And Paul said to the Philippian church, For I am confident... Of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Your salvation he will work to the end. The creeping cancer of heresy has caused some believers to question their doctrinal foundation. Too many Christians' lives live in spiritual poverty because they are uncertain what God has provided for them. Because of their lack of understanding God's word, they become a prey for charlatans. And I've seen a few fall away. I'm sure Pastor Oswell is too. And I'm sure you have too. People that started out, gone on. Where are they now? That's why the church needs to be taught that wealth of truth. Then he says, knowledge resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. The mystery that the church is to know, God's mystery, what is it? It's Christ himself. The mystery is the centers between the union of the body of believers with Christ. In verse 26 and 27 of the previous chapter, he said, that it is the mystery which has been hidden from past age and generations, but now has been made manifest to saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just a simple thing that you know that the Holy Spirit is in you. This is a, a doctrine which you ought to cherish, and I ought to cherish. But you and I are actually members of the body of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. 
And we ought to know that uh, that knowledge, that epigenosis, which is full knowledge of Christ, brings a comprehension of what God is doing today and how it reflects in God's program through the ages. Do you find it interesting when you listen to the news in the last week and you listen to the uh, newscasters talk about the horrific things that Hamas did to the Jewish people, killing the babies and doing all of these things? That was horrific. And they're trying to find an explanation for this. What in the world would make people do this? What in the world, why would they do this? How can the human heart do this? The Bible gives the answers. In Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know the depths of the wickedness of our own human heart. But God searches the heart. The next verse. What we're seeing here is a result of being close to God. The more we know of God and our relationship to Christ, the greater the life our life will be. We're members of his body. And so you and I need to find and gain a full knowledge of Christ, the dispensational aspect, the Christological aspect. We need to know our doctrine of last things. Which leads me to say this, and I'm not asking for a show of hands. How many of you are reading your Bible every day? Or you just pick it up because it's on the coffee table or it's a stand beside your bed? Or you have it somewhere convenient? Do you have a time you actually sit down with the Word of God and read it? How many of you have read the Bible clear through word for word? How many of you are reading the Bible at all? I think it's, uh, we have some great saints that are doing this, but we have a lot of people in our churches that are just spasmodically, oh, it's probably time for me to read the Bible. And, and so you hear it read in church by the elders or by your pastor reading the Word of God, but how many of you are individually in the Word of God and want to know what the Word of God says? On your own. Yes, you need teachers. Yes, you need people encouraging you. And I'm trying to do that now. Because he said in verse 3, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're in Christ. The reason why it's so important to have a knowledge of Christ is because all the treasures and wisdom are in Him. Take a look at verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in all things hold together. Knowledge is the apprehension of all truths. Jesus Christ created the world. Jesus Christ is the creator. Everything in this world, you and I and everything in it, we're created by him. So he is the storehouse of knowledge. <clears throat> Have a problem with something, go to the guy that invented it. He created it. He can tell you all your psychological woes. He can tell you all uh, how to fix every problem. It's in his word. Like we just said, we can explain why Hamas is wicked. Every one of us have that potential. And it's only by the grace of God he's kept us from going that way. And he brought us to himself and saved us and forgave us and gave us a hope. Paul makes it clear that Christ's treasures of wisdom and knowledge will be able to make one wise in life. Those treasures of our instant, unestimable value. The treasures hidden in Christ, and the thought is that if we are in Christ and Christ in us, we'll grow in grace and understanding. 
one of the big problems we have today is the lack of morality. And that lack of morality in the culture in which we live is infiltrating the church. We're just one step or two steps behind. It's amazing that the church, the collective church, as we call the church, is now accepting immorality in their pulpits and everything else. How do we handle that? How do we keep that out of our church? How do we keep morality and how do we keep modesty in our own churches is through the Word of God. The Word of God builds us up. We have wisdom. And Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we have this wisdom that God has given to us and we know and we're assured of this wisdom and we realize that God is leading us, then when no one will delude us. Verse 4. I say this, that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. If you're really boned up in the scriptures and boned up in the doctrine, when heresy comes, you spot it in the church. And the church deals with it in its infant stage. He said uh, in the previous two verses, Paul, conscious to his spiritual growth, says... We're knit together in love. We, we attain to all the wealth that comes from the fullness, assurance of understanding. A true knowledge of Christ, or a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, in Christ himself. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now the warning, verse 4. It's inevitable that it will come, as I told you. We already read Acts 20, 23. And this was a great church. And but, but he says that no one would delude you. The word delude is used here in the New Testament. And in 2 Thessalonians, Vine, the expositor, says delude means a wandering whereby those who were astray, roam, hither, and yon, it is always used in the New Testament of mental strain, wrong opinion, error in morals, or religion. Delude or beguile is a word in this verse because it governs what else is written. In 2 Thessalonians it says, For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so they will believe what is false. Now that passage is, uh, in my opinion, right after the rapture of the church. <laughs> How are people going to explain that thousands and thousands of people have disappeared? You ever wonder that? What are they going to say? When they say your whole family is saved and the rapture of the church takes place and people go to your house and nobody's there, no sign anybody left. Everything is left just as you left it. What are they going to say? How are they going to explain that? I think the world is so deluded that's not going to be as big a problem as we think. First of all, look at all the interest in the movies. Now, I don't go to movies, but when I see them advertised when I'm watching a good football game or whatever... When I see them advertise, I think to myself, who in, the, who in the world want to go there? Who wants to go to all these extraterrestrial people wandering around in their extraterrestrial vehicles? And people are being taken away. And I think it's just a preparation among others as to how to start to explain all these people will be. I don't know what the lie will be, but they'll believe it. Because they believe the lie all their life. And they'll believe this lie. Paul had heard of several things that needed attention in the church. And he heard what they needed at Corinth. It appears in Corinth, whatever could go wrong, went wrong in the church of Corinth. Note the problems in the Corinthian church. A sectarianism being between Paul, Apollos, and Christ. Christ only. An arrogance among the members claiming superiority over others. A tolerance of immorality. Members of the church taking other members to court. 
problem of mixed marriages, believers with unbelievers. Problem of eating meat, which had been dedicated to an idol. The difficulty about paying full-time workers in the church. The problem of drunkenness at church dinners and communion. I think we got to straighten out here. <coughs> A joke. <laughs> the misuse of spiritual gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecies. The question over the resurrection of Christ and believers. It's unbelievable how many problems a church can have. I've been a pastor for many years, like I said, but we've never had all of these at once. Thank God. And Paul makes an interesting statement in his letter, as we said earlier. For in the first part, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. Now listen to this, the next verse. For there must be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. You know, you're going to have church problems. You're going to have factions. We're going to have them at Countryside. You're going to have them here at Southview. It is because it shows who really are the believers. Sometimes there has to be a straining of the church to find out who's really serious or not. Are you really serious about Southview? You really serious about hearing the word of God at Southview? Yes, you are. But expect that some are going to come in from the outside or the inside and cause trouble. Schisms are going to come. There must be also factions among you. The original Greek makes this a strong statement. There must be. It's a little three-lettered word called day. And it's used that Jesus said, I must go to the cross. I must go through Samaria. So the words must come. And in fact... Jesus used it in John 3, 7. Do not be amazed, I say to you, you must, day, be born again. You must be born again. That's a word that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So how do you combat that? You combat it by, as we said before, you, you, have, you will be hearing uh, of all of these things. And when Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 6, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things, here's our little word again, must take place. But that's not at the end. Wow, we're in it right now, aren't we? When I prepared this message, uh, we weren't at war. Now you are in Israel. It has to happen. Uh, we have a missionary, Jack Kirst. You guys do? I think you do. Talking to him about some of this stuff, and he was saying, you know, about the rapture of the church. And he was saying, you know, and it, it's different for Israel than it is for, is for the Gentiles. For Israel, the sign of the rapture, close to the rapture, will be war. For the church, in, for the Gentile church, it'll be apostasy. And we have both right now. Now, I don't think this is the end yet. Close, maybe. But Israel's had war after war after war. This is typical of their history. But they're, uh, we we're, we got to be closer. We're at least 2,000 years closer than Paul. <laughs> so it's got to happen. And it seems to me, I'm off subject already, but it seems to me that what starts the whole tribulation, the whole 70th week of Daniel, is a signing of a treaty with Israel and the same people that destroyed the city. Don't you think that after this, Israel's going to say, and the Western world's going to have to say, we got to protect these people. Let's sign a seven-year treaty with these people. 
so that they can build their temple and they can have peace. Now, to do that now would be a worse jihad than what we have now. So it's got to be a pretty strong treaty. And the rapture of the church takes place before that. So we're close. And the church needs to remind each one of us, as you do on a little sign over here, live ready. Live ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. This could be the day. May not be. I'm not, I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying we ought to live in that kind of thing. And so uh, he says to them, let no one delude you. The Lord isn't coming yet. We won't be in the tribulation. We're going to be freed from that. Now, he says, with persuasive argument. They're going to come with persuasive argument. It always sounds good when they come. But they can't make it stick. They can't prove it. Listen to it. And that's why as you learn these truths from the Word of God, as you learn this truth from the Word of God, when the enemy comes in with his deceptive heresy, his lying heresies, you can, you can uh, perceive the truth that's behind it. The truth itself can be persuasive, but when truth is abandoned or distorted by a teacher, the teacher must depend for effectiveness on tactics and namely oration. They can't prove what they're saying, so they're good speakers. And they entice. It signifies the employment of plausible arguments in contrast to demonstration. False teaching error and sin within a church come with secrecy and deception. So Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of man, by craftiness, and deceitful scheming. One of the lessons of the church from a pastoral point of view is you can listen to all kinds of stuff. You can watch television, and there's all kinds of religious programs on television. You've got the Internet. You can listen to podcasts. You can listen to all these kinds of things. And I have people weekly saying, did you hear what so-and-so said? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? These are tough days. And the devil is really at work. And if there's ever a time that a church of Christ needs to really stand up and dig into the Word of God, it's now. It's now. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your elders. Pray for your church leaders. I cannot believe sometimes stuff I hear that's going on even in our own church members. It uh, causes us to pray for one another, to love one another, and keep your body strong through the teaching of the Word of God. If you don't get anything out of this conference, get that. Get that. Okay? God bless you. Thank you, brother. You know, one of the things Rod's always telling us, preach the word. In fact, he was telling me that his son Rick's at a conference with uh, Alistair Begg. And uh, Alistair said to say hi to Rod. And Rod said, well, tell him to preach the word. <laughs> Thank you, brother. We appreciate that challenge this morning. Indeed. Interesting times we live in. Last days of apostasy. Appreciate that emphasis on the word. Let's stand our, our closing song together, and then I'll close this in a word prayer.
stick around for our luncheon and then join us for the afternoon session one-ish we'll see when we kind of are ready to come up uh, when i make my way up with rod you'll know it's time to come right let's have rod and faith go through the line first and uh, we'll go from there but uh, let me uh, close this in a word of prayer here lord again we thank you for your word uh, truth we thank you for the spirit of truth we thank you for the privilege to pray we thank you for our position in christ And, Lord, uh, we do live in the last days, uh, deceitful times. Uh, People are tossed to and fro, all kinds of voices. Uh, Advance of technology helps us in some ways. The devil's right there to take it and use it in whatever way he can as well. So, Lord, we thank you for truth. Thank you for the Word of God by which we can have full assurance. Uh, We can have that stability that you would have for us. And thank you for all the... The, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Jesus Christ. It all comes back to Him and, and what we have in Him. Uh, thank you for Pastor Rod, for his ministry this morning. May it bear fruit in our lives. Bless the fellowship time now. We thank you for the food that's been provided, for the, all the hands that have prepared it, and all the work in the kitchen. Uh, thank you for all these. Uh, bless our time of uh, sharing around the, the table uh, as we look forward to the meal. And then the afternoon session, we look forward to that as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.